Hello and welcome to season six of Captain's Corner. We'd like to take a moment to let you know how grateful we are to you, our listeners, for making this podcast such a success. We have a great lineup of guests for you to enjoy during season six. So we ask you to share this podcast on your social media with your friends and family. And of course, give us a like and leave a review. We hope you guys enjoy the season. Today on the podcast, we have Major Susie Erickson from the Salvation Army Southern Territorial Headquarters. Well, welcome to Captain's Corner. Captain Andy Miller coming to you from Tampa, Florida. Today, we are privileged to have on Captain's Corner Major Susie Erickson, who serves in leadership at the Women's Department for the Territorial Headquarters for the Salvation Army Southern Territory in Atlanta, Georgia. Major Erickson, welcome to Captain's Corner. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. Well, we are so glad to have you with us because you've just recently published a new book with the Salvation Army, and uh, we are in a bit of a fraternity there because the Salvation Army Southern Territory has only published a few books, uh, probably uh, not even a dozen books yet since they got going um, about five years ago, but your book has just recently been published and people are talking about it, and I would just love to hear more about um, what God's led you to write. And, and we might even get into a little bit of uh, the process of writing because you and I both serve as Salvation Army officers. We're not professional writers and we don't make any money from these efforts, but it's, it's just something that God has led us to do. Well, well, let's talk about that first, actually. So like, tell me about the process of even writing a book and like, what, what led you to do this? Well, I felt like in my younger officership uh, that God planted within my heart, um, just this little, um, seed that one day you're going to write a book. Wow. And uh, a few years ago. And so for years, I talked about it with David had shared that dream that I felt God had placed in my heart. And so I talked about it for years, you know, one day I'm going to write a book, one day I'm going to write a book. And he, I think really got tired (laughs) hearing about it. (laughs) But a few years ago, I think it was uh, 2016, we had a territorial women's conference called We Will. Yes. And um, at the opening night during the time of commitment, I um, God reminded me that he had called me to write a book. And at this point in my life, I was just um, at a point where I um, was really searching and just wondering what what God's next steps for me really were. Yeah. And so I asked God in those moments, you know, it's like, what would I write a book about? Huh. <laughs> and in that moment, I heard this crying behind me. Interesting. And when I turned around, it was one of our officers um, from the division I was serving in. And so I went over to pray with her. And in those moments, she shared with me that she just felt like she had lost a sense of herself. In ministry. Wow. And God said to me in those moments, that's what you're going to write about. Wow. And um, so it began a journey for me. I had two incredible opportunities uh, within the next year to attend um, Aero Executive Leadership and our International College for Officers. And in both of those journeys, um, just this processing of, of, um, knowing that God had called me to write, having that just affirmed and uh, just beginning to sort through exactly what it was that God wanted me to say Mm -hmm. and in the writing process. 
And it was kind of interesting. The last uh, I had came back from those experiencing experience experiences, knowing that I was to write, I just didn't know what it was to look like. Right. And so I, um, we were at youth councils, our last, um, year in Florida, we're on the front row in our assigned seats and the speaker on Saturday night, I can't even remember who he was, but he's about, I guess, five to 10 minutes into his message and he just stops. And he said, someone in here is called to write a book. Oh my goodness. And you need to just write the book. If only five people read it, you need to write the book. Wow. And so I'm on the front row with people who know that I have this call and am struggling with what to do. And so David is elbowing me in the ribs and, you know, our divisional leaders are leaning over, looking at me and it's like, okay, I, I know it's time to do this. Right. And so when I moved to uh, my current role in Atlanta, it placed me in a, um, a good place um, to really sort through that writing process and um, connect with our literary council and our literary department and begin the journey. Wow. Well, and it is, um, I've been privileged to be able, as, as indicated, to have two books published by the Southern Territory, and I'm thankful for that. And I, a lot of people do come to me and say, "How'd you do that? What do you?" Do? And I, I'm glad to give advice. And I don't, I don't really consider myself to be an expert, you know. And but there's a lot of people who are interested in writing books or, or think about it. But you did it. <laughs> you and and right. it's not an easy pro- like a lot. There's a lot of places along this journey where it's easy to say. Thanks, but no thanks. Like I'm, I'm, I've done enough here. Like, because it's so much more than just getting words down on piece on paper. Um, and we won't go into all that now. I just want to congratulate you, and also you're you're willing to do the hard task too, which is once the book is done, once you have that beautiful product in your hand, you have to go through the challenge of self promotion. You know, you, you don't have right. a marketing team who is putting this out for you. If it's going to go anywhere and if no. anybody's going to read it, you have to get beyond the 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 barrier of uh promotion and and it feels right. like counterintuitive toward the um towards a Christian and a pastor, you know, a Salvation Army officer to do that. How's that been for you? Have you have you uh, to 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 cross that just in order to get people to read it? Well, I had um, a priv- the privilege of going to a writer's conference okay. um, last spring before I began writing. Okay. And um, so one of the uh, sessions there was, uh, you know, shameless self-promotion. Okay. And you really do have to remember that, um, that God is the one who called you to write in the first place. And he's given you a message to share. And um, so you're not necessarily promoting yourself. You're promoting the message that Amen. God has given to you. Yes. And I, I've found that um, the promotion part came a little easier for me because of all of my years in ministry to women and doing women's retreats. Oh, and sure. You're constantly promoting events. Sure. And so really writing a book feels a lot like an event. Sure. And uh, so I think I viewed it from that perspective, um, but also keeping my focus on uh, why I was writing in the first place, and that's to impact the lives of other people. Maybe even think of that woman behind you at that at that we will conference and and that that word that God God directed you to this. This isn't just your idea. Right. 
Absolutely. Well, let's get into the book a little bit. So it's called Barefoot Cinderella's Set the Captives Free. Now, what a great title. Right. You're, I mean, you're getting our getting our attention because those words don't go well together. Barefoot Cinderella. but And I'm able to preview just a portion of it. I wasn't able to read it in full, like every word yet. But um, And, and uh, to, to your credit... I'm not your audience, <laughs> exactly. But I, I'm married to somebody, and I have a little Cinderella in my house uh, named Georgia K. Miller. So right. uh, I, I really appreciate the insights there. But this is a bit of, this is a combination of reflections in, on ministry, but also a, your story throughout it. Is that correct? It is. It really is a Cinderella story from start to finish. Um, I grew up in a home with... Um, a single mom. Mm -hmm. My uh, father died when I was 11 months old and my mom was a widow with five daughters, all under 18. And um, life was very hard Uh, there. We also had a sibling, our oldest brother, who was uh, an alcoholic and Mm. was just in and out of trouble all the time. And so that added even a different level, um, of uh, to already the crisis of our home. Mm. And so I talk about that throughout the book and each one of the chapters in the book, um, we t- I talk about different um, aspects of growing up. The first chapter talks about my birth uh, and I won't, I won't give anything away because I don't want you to, oh, yeah, uh, we want to buy the book, you know, have the punchline before you read the book. But uh, I talk about my birth um, and just from the very beginning, start instilling that message that um, that we were born for a purpose Amen. and that none of us are here by accident. God has uh, placed us here uh, for a, a purpose. And so throughout the book, I talk about that and um, talk about um, growing up in that home of a widow and, and the hard challenges that we faced and growing up with an alcoholic in the home. And uh, then also um, talk about that moment um, when um, I realized that I was different than everyone else. You know, I went to this uh, father-daughter banquet with mm-hmm. my mom on my arm. Wow. And that wow. was the first time that I had really experienced shame, the, wow. the type of shame wow. that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden when they realized that they had no clothing, you know, mm-hmm. so... Um, tools that the enemy uh, could really try to use in your life uh, to keep you separated from God. I talk about those experiences um, throughout the book. And then as you uh, get into uh, the further chapters, I talk about the way that that upbringing really affected my approach to ministry and um, how in some ways it just really paralyzed me in some areas of my life. And um, I found I've always been an overachiever. Okay. And just coming to that point of realizing that some of that, you know, much of that comes from passion and what I do. But there was this level where that that came from, you know, fear of of just trying to please others right and just through all of that and finding that place of freedom where you can just truly serve out of passion and pure motives Mm. so help me uh, with the go go ahead Uh, let me ask you the the barefoot side 
Like help me, yeah. help me get that. Like uh, you bring that in early, and so you, like you have the, like, somebody who grew up in a, a challenging situation without a without a father in the home, and then making your way through this in, into your ministry as a Salvation Army officer, and then realizing that those fears and challenges are something you bring in a perfectionism or a wanting to be a, a high achiever. How, how does the idea of of where does the idea of being a barefoot Cinderella come into that? Is that is that a part of the beginning? Is it kind of like realizing the potential or what? what help me. It is. Well, a barefoot Cinderella, um, uh, you know, one of the uh, com- one of the speakers that we had once at one of our women's retreats was Joanna Weaver. And uh, in one of her writings, she talked about um, how we go through life sometimes um forgetting that we are daughters of the king wow. and we live more like paupers wow. uh, truly, than we do as daughters. And we go through life like some barefoot Cinderella mm. when we were born to be daughters of the king. Amen. And so as I read that, it's like, that is exactly how I have felt uh, for much of my life. Like I was a barefoot Cinderella um, and really had forgotten the fact or never really embraced the fact that I was a daughter of the king. Amen. And so often we keep ourselves at the orphan table eating on crumbs when the father is inviting us to the banquet table to Amen. feast with him. And that's a place that so many women live day mm. in and day out is they keep themselves at, at the orphan table. And so I, I wanted in my writing um, to help them to see themselves for who they truly are, yeah. a daughter of the king, and to take their rightful seat at the king's table. Amen. And that's what Barefoot Cinderella's is all about. And that's what setting the captives free is all about. Amen. Oh, I love it. What a beautiful image to think of that. And, like, and, and think of it in the context of your own story of realizing that you're a daughter of the king when you might not have thought of yourself as being the the daughter of, of, of you know, you don't have your father around. You, you don't have a father who claimed, but you do. And, and realize, right. was, was there a key moment in, in your life or in your ministry, like where, where you made some changes or like God just spoke and like from that moment on, something was different? Uh, there was, um, there was that moment, I mean, all throughout my officership, you know, all throughout my journey, you know, I think with each of us, God gives us opportunities that just draws us closer to him. Right. And more intimacy. And so I think that the part that really was a transformative moment for me was uh, during um, the first residential, uh, during the Uh, executive aero leadership program dr steve brown asked a question and he the the question was so simple it was what is driving you because the shepherd never drives the sheep he's never behind them pushing them he's always either carrying them or leading them but he's never driving the sheep and i had to come to a point of realizing in that first residential that i was driven Hmm. and um some of the things that were driving me wasn't good. And Mm. so it was that process of answering that question, what is driving me uh, that helped me peel back some of the layers and really 
get to that point of understanding um, those things that were uh, affecting me uh, and and driving me from my upbringing. And I write about those and share that all throughout the book. Mm. Interesting. Uh, you've said arrow a few times. I just want to give uh, folks who might not be familiar with that a little uh, insight into what that is. So we, uh, Salvation Army officers often can get selected um, to participate in this leadership training program. And it's a, not with the Salvation Army, but the Salvation Army brings in, works with this company that's based in Canada, British Columbia, and they, um, they interact with people. And it's, from what I've heard, I, I haven't participated myself, but it's just this real soul-searching time of like discerning your gifts and your abilities and really... Um, working on yourself so that you can be a better leader. Of course, it's not just like being a good leader so you can tell people what to do. It's like understanding who you are probably so that you can then sense who God's calling you to be in your own context. So um, so that's what she's talking about. Arrow is this like um, very deliberate training program for very leaders. Very intentional. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it help, help. I mean, obviously somebody who's not been, um, is there anything else you'd like to say about Arrow? Um, it, it is a very intentional um, leadership uh, development program uh, designed to, to make you a better follower of Jesus mm-hmm. so that you can lead more people to Jesus and lead more like Jesus yeah. in your leadership. So, and, and he, he brought this question, Steve Brown asked this question, like, what drives you? I mean, it, when you got into a place where you've been, you, by the time you went through Arrow, you would probably serve as a Salvation Army officer for well over 20 years, I would guess. And, right. Uh, um, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what was it? What were those things that were driving you? Like, what, I, I, you would have probably said that, you know, if, if you and I had those conversations, we would, I would have heard the right things. But, but what, what was the real source of your ministry before that moment? Like, or what was it in, in, that was inadequate? Right. I think that one of the things that um, that really um, was driving me and holding me back at the same time was impression management. Interesting. And, you know, growing up in a home with an alcoholic, you just want life to be normal. Wow. You know, you just want to come home and know that, you know, that there's not going to be chaos in your life that day. Um, And so you grow up knowing uh, what uh, to say um, to and what not to say. And, you know, I talk about this experience uh, when I was uh, four years old. We had a neighborhood gentleman who would come and just look in after us. You know, he would bring fruit at Christmas time and he was just a good neighbor. And he would take my sister and I uh, to the uh, store and buy candy and so one day we're, we're in his truck, we're riding to the store and he asked about my brother, Frankie. Mm. And he, uh, and I just like at four years old, crossed my hands over my lap and politely said, uh, Frank is a subject we don't discuss. Oh my goodness. You know, at four, I knew how to do that. Wow. And um, wow. so you grow up thinking that that's normal, but it really isn't. And but that carried me. That stayed with me all throughout ministry, and um, this impression management of feeling like you were always having to control um, conversations or control um, circumstances, 
and just not at all embracing the fact that we serve a sovereign God who's in control. Amen. So that was one of the the huge things um, that I had to really release and let go of was um, this impression management. Mm. That's an interesting term. I've never heard that. Could we sit on that for a second? I think I might have made it up. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, it's going to make its way into Tampa Savage Army Church near you sometime soon. I guarantee it. Yeah. I, I love I mean, that, that term is so helpful because um, we've served a few times together. Um, uh, we were at the train school, Abby and I, while you and your husband were on the staff there. And then we had the privilege of living on the same street as you. Uh, our quarters yes. were five houses down. And... Um, we're still there on Big Sur Drive in Tampa, and you and your husband served in the, the divisional staff in Florida. Um, and uh, one thing that people and anybody who listens to this who knows you knows, you have a beautiful house and a beautiful home, right. and yeah. you and you uh, cook some beautiful meals, and they taste good too. And you have a gorgeous cat, and uh, and there's yeah. Well, we don't have the cat anymore. Oh no, Fluffy's not around. It's, I'm so it's sorry. January. I'm yeah. so, oh, I'm sorry to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's all right. Okay, but it was. A, that's I mean, all right. If, am I right? It's Fluffy. Was that the name? Muffy, Muffy, yeah. Muffy, Muffy. Was I mean? So yeah. uh, as far as like, in Abby and I, you know, we, we, we our family, we walk around the neighborhood, and you would just invite us into a house, and we'd have, uh, a, you know, tea or a, a snacks or something, and um, your house is always ready, beautifully, you know, for us to come and sit down. People know know that it, it's something they love about you, but uh, I imagine like that impression management, uh, while it's a it's a strength you have, can that be something that you're indicating here maybe was a part of a, a weakness in, in things you brought into ministry that didn't need to be there? Yeah, I think that so many times the enemy will take our spiritual gifts and he will try to manipulate them mm. any way that he can Yeah, uh, to distract us. I, I do have the spiritual gift of hospitality. It just brings me absolute great joy to yeah. invite people into my home and and I determined growing up uh, in this home of an alcoholic that my home would be a sanctuary wow. of rest. Um, and it it has been. And um, we love serving out of our home and inviting people in um, to our home. Uh, but there were times that, you know, um, that impression management where that gift of hospitality became more of entertaining Wow. Than it did, you know, truly serving out of a, a place of uh, true biblical hospitality. And I think that there's just that fine line um, that the enemy is like your greatest strengths can be your greatest weaknesses. Right, right. And, um, and, you know, I talk about this paradoxical life in the book and how things, um, you know, are not as they seem. Hmm. And so often I, I have found in my spiritual journey that I would have to step back and look a little deeper, look from a, a different angle to really see what was going on, you know, because you can get so focused sometimes on one thing and not, you know, and miss the real spiritual depth yeah. of what's really happening. And um, so that impression management um, was something that at times would keep me from really being able to serve um, in a true sense of, um, of hospitality. It could keep you in a sense, like an impression management, uh, would keep you as a barefoot Cinderella. 
<laughs> like it well, keep you from realizing. Keeps, and it keeps you from being authentic mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. You know, for so many years, I, I hid that so much of the story because of shame, yeah. because of uh, just not knowing how uh, people would, um, would perceive it or how, you know, they would uh, receive me. Um, and just coming to that point of, of being able to share that story as just freeing and uh, realizing that my freedom will set other women free awesome. as well. Yeah, it's that example to be able to see someone else, um, be able to move from one place to another. Having that example is so important. Mm-hmm. You, now, I interrupted you. I, I really love that uh, concept of uh, impression management. And I didn't love it. Yeah. Actually, I, I shouldn't love it. I don't love it. But <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm trying to like, I think that that's a helpful uh, naming of a problem that we can have. But you were about to go into something else. And I, I stopped you with like, is, it, is, there no, is there another kind of topic that kind of like you had to get over in order to realize who God made you to be? I think one of the greatest things that I had to overcome was fear of calamity. Okay. I think that we all have our our fears. If we really uh, dig deep, uh, things that we fear. And for me, um, I grew up in a home where you were always expecting the left shoe to fall. Okay. And that's just that's how it was in the home of an alcoholic. Is you? It was not. You know, if the shoe falls, it's when. Because you knew that it was going to happen. And so living with that constant sense of um, worrying about what was going to happen and how could I manage the situation to keep it from happening? How could I um, be proactive to make sure that, you know, everything was in place to keep calamity far from my home, far from my doorstep. Right. And, you know, that. I was in a place in my spiritual journey for years where I, my prayer was always, God, keep me safe. God, keep me safe. Hmm. And I never wanted to go through any of the hard, painful things in my relationship with the Lord. Um, And, you know, we can't imitate him if we don't go through the difficult things. places with him right because he went to the cross amen before he got to the resurrection yes i didn't want to go to the cross i wanted to just go straight to the resurrection wow but that's not how our spiritual journey is we have to share in his suffering uh to share in his glory and his um the power of his resurrection and so that whole concept of fear of calamity kept me from going to those places Mm. in my spiritual walk Mm -hmm. or even wanting to, I would get to the edge of really um, doing some deep spiritual work and just, you know, come back because I didn't want to walk through the painful experiences. And um, so just getting to that place of no longer fearing calamity uh, was huge for me. Embracing conflict—it's a—it's a—it's a hard concept to get, and I wish I—I I, I don't want to say that in any triumphalistic way. Like I understand, like I—I uh, I have a lot of room to grow in that regard. I'm reminded of Jesus's words that if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up 
their cross and follow me. Like both those things right. are really challenging. Denying ourselves, like denying ourselves, then taking up our cross. Like after you deny yourself, it's not you're not done. You still have to keep going. You have to take up the cross. I'm right. reminded too of this um, idea of uh, uh, Abby and I have benefited from uh, the kind of leadership coaching of uh, Patrick Lencioni. I, f- I say his name wrong sometimes. Uh, he's written the book The Advantage, and he's uh, a few other a few other yeah. really helpful books. But he he talks about like uh, like uh, his big point in general in leadership is to be authentic and to be able to uh, embrace conflict because like if you're sitting around a table and you're not you're not willing to say what you say what you really think, you're hurting the mission, you're hurting the cause. And he talks about like um, uh, this is kind of funny. This isn't really. Uh, talking about a women's show but uh a women's book he says he, he's really proud he lifts up his arm and shows the armpit sweat when you start he's like look i'm sweating i'm so nervous i don't know what to say like that's how we have to kind of move through that conflict to get to a better place and so with our teams uh core council ministry team our leadership team at area command here in tampa board meetings we have to come to a place if we want to take steps forward to go through conflict to not be af- so afraid of calamity, afraid of tension that we don't grow. And that's my, right. yeah, I'll, I'll let you respond to that. I, I, I talked for too long there. Yeah. Well, for me, it was events, you know, just trying to um, really um, be proactive and planning and, you know, all the things that we are trained to do as officers, you yeah. know, it was they were also, it was also good. It all looked so good on the outside, but on the inside, you're just dying, mm. you know, because you're living in fear over things that you just really can't control. And um, being able to release that and come to a point of um, really allowing God to be God in your life mm. and realizing that, um, you know, you we're all going to go through trials and we're all going to go through times of suffering. And those moments bring us more into the likeness of Christ. Um, and so just coming to that point of, of wanting to be more like him and walk that journey with him. Yeah. Amen. Well, we trust that God is wanting to use those experiences. And uh, I, I, it's easy for me to say it now when I, don't see like a definite sort of challenge right now that's like really painful. Although I push me and I could, I could come up with a few that are on the horizon or I'm just coming out of. Uh, but I, I trust um, that the Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of those times. Um, so it, it, I love, love hearing that. What other, are there any other kind of key insights from the book that you like to share? Well, I really, um, you know, we really get in, in one chapter we talk about, I talk about marriage okay, um, and really, talk about um being uh you know not only marriage partners but partners in ministry together and just realizing how um each one of us bring our own set of baggage (laughs) to marriage you know i i came with my upbringing david came with his upbringing and just expectations of what marriage was and what it was supposed to be and in so many ways, I came to marriage really um, thinking that my spouse was supposed to be a knight in shining armor, 
and save me from all of the, you know, the trauma of childhood. And, um, and that really is not what marriage is about at all. Mm -hmm. Marriage is about making, um, us holy and, uh, helping us transform to the likeness of Christ. And, um, but that is one of the things that we talk about in the book. And, uh, this week, um, there's a, uh, a podcast with Tim and Cheryl Gillum and David and I okay. out talking about that very topic of, of marriage and just uh, how we so often bring those unrealistic expectations and who, who we are uh, to marriage and don't even know how uh, our upbringing can sometimes affect the way that we, um, we operate in our marriages. Definitely. Uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, exasperated and beautified. So I say both sides, I don't know if those are the best words to use, but it's, it's made wonderful by the fact that like when this starts to work in, in the unique roles of Salvation Army officers that you share everything together. Now you and David are at a place now where you're, you're on two different floors. You're probably further apart than you've ever been in uh, right. geographically or local, like in your location. But like for most of your uh, marriage and life, you've served together as is the case for Abby and I. So like there's beautiful things that come from that, but also it, it can be challenging too. I mean, this is like a, a sociologist would have a heyday thinking about like how we think about marriage when you have two people who are the area commanders together, all have the same task and you have these various appointments, sometimes separate appointments, and how that works together with moving and all these type of things. I mean, it can be really challenging. Uh, like everything you've, you said at first is just about marriage in general, Christian marriage in general. But I would say like there, uh, it's unique, some of the things about Salvation Army officership. Would you, would you say that is true? It is very unique. Um, this life that we live as as officers, you know, we're we're partners in marriage and life, but we're also partners in ministry. And one of the challenges that came uh, to our marriage as a result of my fear of calamity is I was always, you know, so fearful of um, decisions, you know, that we were making in ministry and I wanted to be a part of everything. And it wasn't necessarily that I needed to. It was the fact that I was just needed to have a sense of control um, over, you know, some of the things that were happening. And David is a guy who very much um, is strong in his, his own gifting and uh, didn't necessarily need someone else to be in control. (laughs) It's true. Very capable. You know, working out that dynamic and realizing that in some of the ways my control and my fear of calamity could paralyze him. And, and making decisions just simply because of the fear that I felt and, you know, came to a point of feeling like sometimes maybe he was holding the hard stuff really too close okay. uh, to keep me from worrying. So working out those dynamics in uh, ministry, those are things that um, that maybe most couples uh, in uh, that are in ministry you know, relationships may, may not have the uniqueness that we have as officers right. uh, in the Salvation Army and working out, um, working together in those types of scenarios. Yeah, Abby, I joke sometimes, you know, we'll, we have to find some of these boundaries because we'll be, um, you know, both brushing our teeth trying to talk about in a 
an agenda for a meeting. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, right. it's gone too far here. And, and, and there is a, a part of that like that we, I'm sure everybody has it to one degree or another, this fear of calamity, that that's like, it's, it's a human instinct, right? Like um, we do that for good reasons. Like our bodies train us in this, our, our bodies kind of, I guess, sense some of those movements because we don't want to have that pain. We don't, we don't stick our hand in the fire anymore, right? We have a fear of that calamity. So like there's a way that that can be good, but that muscle, that whatever that is emotionally that we have that extends itself can become overly active and keep us from being engaged in certain areas. So like there is, there, there is just continual rhythms that we have to find to get these right. get this right get this balance right for me that that right. freedom uh, came you know i was in a little um had a favorite little tea spot and you've been in my home so you know all of my tea stuff okay. but i had a favorite little tea spot in london and um i would go there to uh just you know have solitude and ponder life and it was in that little tea room that God helped me to see when he started peeling back all of these layers and helped me to really see that, um, that it wasn't people around that I didn't trust. It wasn't any of the um, people in my past or it wasn't people that I didn't trust. It was God. Wow. That I didn't trust. Wow. Because I didn't so let me just trust. say that again, what she just said, folks. Uh, she just said, like, it wasn't just the people from her past. It was actually a place of actually not trusting God. I mean, for you to yeah. be able to say that, you know, as a minister, it's like, oh, you can't say, you're not allowed to say that. But I, I love that you're bringing that out into the open. Keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to, like, yeah. stop and press pause and say, you just said something extremely significant that we need to sit on for a second. So keep going. Keep going. Well, I... You know, what it, What I didn't trust was his method of transforming crosses into resurrections. Wow. Uh, I, I didn't trust that. I didn't want to go through to the cross. Um, and so, but having to um, peel back um, all of that and see my, that it was me that was really sitting in the, on the throne of lordship mm. of my life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and having to uh, really uh, intentionally take myself off of that seat and give Christ his rightful seat of Lord wow. in my life and wow. know that I'm not going to face any calamity, any trial that he's not going to go uh, through with me. Right. That he's not going to be there right. for me. And also to know that he never leaves us Amen. and that all things, even the worst of calamities that you can think of in your mind, all things work for good. Yes, And that is a message uh, woven throughout my book from beginning to end yes. is all things work for good. Um, and I end the book um, in the last chapter with that story of Joseph. Okay, you know, great. he um, had just the most difficult of circumstances with his family, <laughs> with his brothers. You know, they sold him into slavery and um, here he is. Um, second in command now as a grown man and stands before his brothers as they come to, to buy grain uh, during a famine. And um, he says those words to them. Um, Don't blame yourself. Mm. God did this. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, when you look at the story from beginning to end, God was preparing, um, protecting that family, placing Joseph in a place of authority that he would be able to provide and care for his family. And just to know that whatever circumstances come our way in our life, they don't catch God by surprise. Uh, And so often I felt like they did, and I didn't trust God (laughs) during those moments. But being able to step back now and see my life from beginning to where I am today, I can tell you that God has been there every moment. There's never been a moment that he has abandoned me or left me or hasn't known exactly what was happening in my life. And the same is true for those that are listening right now. Amen. Yeah. God is there and he, um, he holds us in the palm of his hand and he orchestrates our life. And um, I didn't trust that until that tea room experience in London. Wow. I love it. I, I think like that's the beauty of you taking time. You know, you could have shared this as a testimony and you could have put together and, and you could have shared it at a women's retreat or um, sometime when you were invited to preach someplace and it would have been a blessing to people. But you taking time to put this down in a book, work with an editor, work with the, the proofs and the concepts and the approvals and all the things that have to happen. What, what, the, what it does, it takes your story, which is a story of God's be, wonderful, miraculous grace at work in your life and gives it as an example to other people. So I'm so thankful that you took time to do that. Um, you've taken time to do this and really for the benefit for others. One of the great things about books too is that you're, um, you know, you you might forget about it at some point, but somebody else could pick it up and read it, and it'll be sitting around in a library someplace or somebody's house, or who knows where it goes. And, and it's amazing how God will continue to use your story beyond what you'll ever know um, through your book. This episode of Captain's Corner is sponsored by Arthur Alley Associated, your partner for fundraising and mission development, led by longtime Salvation Army fundraisers Derek Alley and Steve Wakes Norris. Arthur Alley can help your nonprofit organization or church with services like mission planning, annual and capital campaign fundraising, and coaching. Arthur Alley has the experience and insight to help your organization thrive. They've worked with organizations across the country and specialize in serving the Salvation Army. And today, for Captain's Corner listeners, Arthur Alley is offering a free 20-minute consultation call. Brainstorm strategy, script an upcoming donor visit, talk through an advisory board issue, or ask questions you've been afraid to ask in public. It's entirely up to you. Visit ArthurAlley.com slash captain. That's Alley with two L's, ArthurAlley.com slash captain to set up your complimentary consultation call today. I want to ask you just a question. I, I have a sense that kind of like just seeing the people who uh, wrote endorsements for your book, but I'd love, love to hear who some of your mentors are and what they spoke into your life. And then maybe even... Um, some writers that have been uh, are pe- people you admire. Right. Well, um, I, I had a great team around me, and um, I think it's um, it just shows how God just kind of orchestrates, because uh, we've already talked about how I was in Florida for eight years. Right, right. And um, while I was there, I became um, just such good friends uh, with uh, Sharon Cosby. Oh, yes. And uh, yeah. Sharon is a writer as well. She's uh, written a book and uh, has written, had devotions that have been um, published. And so she was very involved in a, 
um, Christian writers community and is the one that encouraged me to go cool. as well. And Sharon, for and, those who don't um, know, she's in the, our legal department and you might not, and now you expect her to be a good writer. She's in the legal department, but she's, she's yeah. a wonderful, one of these blessings that we have of a staff member who really has the best interest of the Salvation Army at heart. And uh, boy, she has been a blessing to be in her job and of course in yes. her, in her own pastoral gifting too. So keep going. I'm sorry. I, I, we, I yes, love Sharon as well. Yeah, she's a blessing to me just as as a friend and a fellow writer. But uh, so Sharon was, um, I would call her my writing coach um, throughout the journey. I would write a chapter and I would send it to Sharon. And uh, Sharon would kind of help me do some wordsmithing um, if there were areas that needed clarification. And then another person that God brought into my circle while I was in Florida is Jan McMahon, Mm -hmm. who was our resource librarian um, at uh, divisional headquarters when we were there. So every writer needs a librarian in their uh, circle of friends. So I would then, after Sharon had done her work and I had had gotten it and uh, made corrections, it would then go to Jan. Okay. And Jan would do some pre-editing. Right. So we did we did that before it ever went to um, to the editor. Okay. And I think that that really helped speed up the editing process as well sure. uh, to have those uh, second and third eyes to um, to look at those manuscripts and you know your words just start to kind of blend together when you're writing. <laughs> so yeah, sure. It's always good to have another set of eyes to to catch things. Um, but those two ladies were just instrumental in walking the journey with me. I had people along the way that um, just encouraged me. Um, I, just the entire um, leadership team and the Aero community uh, were there to support me. Um, so it was just a great journey. Um, some of the the writers that I love, um, as far as women's uh just ministry to women. I love Joanna Weaver. Okay. I love the way that she uh, writes. But when I'm just like wanting to read, I love Charles Martin. Okay. Um, I love the way that he takes a story and just really um, brings out um, the redemption yeah. uh, plan of God and every um, human messy story that he writes about. And um, I think if I were to aspire in retirement to write like anyone, it would be Charles Martin. <laughs> okay, fun. Okay, let me add, uh, the, the hardest thing about, you know, writing a book is that as soon as you get done, people say, well, what's next? You know, you, you think about yeah. what's next. Is there is there a, a next project for you? It's okay. You can say no. Well, Leave me alone, Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in my in my current role, I have um, had an opportunity to really do quite a bit of writing. Um, we have this year produced a new um, women's uh, a ministry to women resource, uh, just kind of a, it's really our um, manual, but we, we uh, prepared it more like a magazine format than a manual. Um, and so we just, so we, we, uh, launched that in January of this year. And so just, uh, this week on, on Tuesday, um, we launched a new statistical catalog, which sounds like lots of fun, but it is, um, we did kind of a pictorial how to, uh, guide, uh, for, 
uh, statistics and ministry to women. And so just writing that. Yeah, piece, sure. Um, you know, those projects have kept me pretty busy. Um, Sorry for joking around there a little bit. I couldn't help but you said a statistical. Ma- I just I, I recognize how important it is. And like particularly for somebody uh, a highlight too. I, I don't want my little sarcasm there to. I mean, apologize for it. And it's like, I, but I appreciate oh, you no, giving no. it real care, you know, and like making yeah. it something that's significant and not just a, a how to or get well, this done or turn this report. Oh, sure. And for us in uh, ministry to women, we have so many different expressions of ministry to women, especially with COVID. Yes. Um, and we, you know, with our new resource guide, we gave, we gave our ladies permission to do virtual meetings long before we ever got to this place. But in so um, many cases, people don't know how to count it or they're doing it and they're not counting it. Right. You know, I um, so just making sure that they know that we want them to take credit for absolutely every expression of ministry to women that that you're doing. So just giving that guide. So we've been working on that. But but what's next for Barefoot Cinderella's uh, is um, I'm working on an audio book. Oh, great. Um, and so that is um, something that we're tackling um, this fall. Are you recording um, also, it or is there um, somebody else who's going to do the? We're we're doing that here um, at Territorial Headquarters in the studio. Are you the voice um, through, that's going to read um, it or somebody through else? Through the can... help of uh, Bernie Date. Okay. And I'm. Um, and we'll use my voice so you'll get it with Great. a southern accent. Well, it's how it needs to be. <laughs> so um yeah, so the yes, yeah, so Bernie has had a um desire and just to have an audio book in the writer's voice. And so we're gonna make that happen with Barefoot Cinderella's. And then um I've really been in this place of, you know, have all these ideas, but just really trying to listen to the direction God is leading me next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, everyone is asking for like a Bible study or a book study. So I'm really looking at pursuing that next. Okay. Um, I was looking at book club material and, you know, all kinds of fun things uh, that we like to do in ministry to women. But I really think I'm settling into um, it being more of a, a Bible study um, or some type of book study. Uh, guide that you can use, um, you know, as an individual or with group study. Um, I think that there is another book uh, brewing within me, but it's too early to say. I got you. Okay. It's amazing. Like, we'll just see where God leads you. And, you know, it's a great how you've said yes to him in this. And um, we're so I'm, I'm thankful for just a few minutes to be able to share with you. Um, if people can find this on Amazon or at uh, tradesouth.com, um, any any other locations where they can they can get it? I think it's available at uh, Barnes and Noble online as well. Okay, and there's e versions there too. So just encourage you to and go and find an, that. Yeah, there's an e version um, on Amazon, and so yeah. I'm a little worried, Susie. I'm a little worried. You know, Jeremy Rowland, who runs the trade department. You know, for I've I've been I've I've been number one in sales for a while. You know, not much competition, but I'm a, I'm afraid you're going to you pass me up. Your, Thankfully, there's no the money numbers. involved. <laughs> yeah, New York just bought like 700, so you Uh-oh. better check your numbers. Uh, well, I, New York bought New York bought a lot for me too, so that I don't know. I, good. The last thing I want to do is get in competition with you. I'm, I'll I'll just say uh, <laughs> I lost at this point. Uh, but yeah, that's great. Well, what a blessing. Um, uh, yeah. The Eastern Territory did buy for every officer. Um, um, 
um, holistic hospitality. But isn't that, I'm, I'm sorry, I did a little like sharing here with you, but uh, it's a blessing, you know, that so many, it gets into so many people's hands. It's one thing to look at, but thinking about 700, wow, what a blessing. Right. And I imagine and, you, you know, had something to do with that. Well, one of the things that I um, learned at the Writers' Conference, and, um, you know, any writer, I would say, oh, go to a Writers' Conference. Mm-hmm. And um, But I learned this trick about, um, you know, advanced readers, and they really help do your PR for you. So you select 100 people in advance, you know, and you send them a book and then ask them to promote you know, in social media. And that's really, I, I contribute them to being my, my uh, publicist team yeah. because they really, they really spread the word for you. Yeah. And, um, you know, they help with Amazon reviews or you just as, um, you know, having that community around you, that's just a you hundred know, cheerleaders on the, on the sidelines that are cheering your book on. And, um, I'm just grateful that I had that opportunity to, to go to the conference and learn that on the front side of writing. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's just like uh, working in the community, like um, with uh, talking about the mission of the Salvation Army and trying to get in front of people and you have ideas and you can't quite get there. But, you know, as you make these contacts, people become aware of what you're doing and they pass it on to somebody else. And the same thing's true, like with, uh, with you getting the book out there, like, one of your readers might been have been in a room with somebody who says, well, I'm looking for something, a gift to give to somebody. Well, I know something. And then you right. don't have to be the one to do it. But it wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have taken the step of first deciding you're going to write the book. Secondly, putting that team together. So you're getting a lot of good tips here if, if somebody is reading uh, or listening and interested in, in writing a book uh, uh, from Major Erickson. I would tell you, don't ever do it the way I did it. Okay. I will just tell you that. Because I am... Um, you know, I, I came here to THQ knowing that I had, you know, been called to write this book. And so I went immediately to our literary department and they said, oh, no, you know, we, we're not taking any new projects. And so it's like, okay, that, it, that gives me two years to figure out what I'm doing because I truly did not know how to write a book. Yeah. And um, so the next year, um, you know, I... I had some women's retreats that I was doing throughout the territory and had been looking at a writer's, some writer's conferences, but couldn't really fit it into schedules. And um, so when I received my assignments, I was going to the Carolinas um, and I thought, well, let me look at one of those conferences again. That conference was, was in, was starting the night that my women's retreat ended wow. in the same location. Oh my I never goodness. even had to change my room. And so I just stayed right over for the conference. And um, so when I came back from that conference, I went back to our literary office and I said, I feel so called to write this book and I want it to, ha- I want to write it before Congress. And uh, this is last May. I went the end of last May. So this is after commissioning in June of last year. And uh, so, you know, that, oh, no, we're not taking any new projects. But you know what? We just had some projects that um, that were kind of fell to the wayside. So we might be able to make okay. this happen. I'm not a girl that you say might to. I know. Because it. you just said yes. <laughs> and so I said, okay, what do you need? Do you need my one sheet? And uh, so I here it is like second week of June. I have until July 30th Woo. to 
outline my chapters to do my introduction and do the first two chapters to turn it into the literary council. So I did, it got approved, but now I have a deadline of December 1st for my manuscript being done and I have nothing. Wow. <laughs> so I literally wrote that book from August to I finished two days before Thanksgiving. Wow. So August. Yeah. So that was like 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. every morning. <laughs> wow. That's great. When that was when the book. Boy, that work. So it's don't do that it work. the way I did it. Absolutely. That is good word, man. But you're, you're much better off if you write a manuscript and right. then turn that in to right. get approved. <laughs> That's that's uh, good. Oh, I, I loved hearing about your determination, in it, though, like not just like don't copy you with that, but also just like the way you're you're focused. So I know I'm 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 afraid yeah. because I just lit the competition bug with you. Now I'm now I'm going to be like, you're going to sell a hundred thousand copies and they'll never talk to me again. No, it's good. So uh, Major, thank you so much for your time. You're a blessing to us and thankful for the message of this book and your determination to get it done. And um, we'll look forward to, you know, getting it out there and also um, just hearing what else God's going to do in your life. Um, thanks so much for coming on Captain's Corner. Next week on the podcast, we have Mark Reidenauer from the Chicago Symphony. If you'd like to learn more about the Salvation Army of Tampa, check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.